0: Please be seated well about seven years ago when i moved to michigan pete scribner was one of the first people to welcome me who reached out to me and befriended me to encourage me and that is so much like pete and uh pete you have been uh, such a, a meaningful and encouraging friend and this conference is even expression i think of pete's heart uh to reach out uh, to this community and to all of Michigan and so what a privilege and an honor it is uh, to be here at this conference and thank you to Pete and to Calvary and to everyone for your hard work uh, to hold this conference so that the church might be built up and so it is a privilege to be here and uh, I'm thankful Pete just gave the very light topic of an overview, a biblical overview of the Holy Spirit from a reformed perspective so no big deal, right? Um, So we just sang a wonderful song. I thought we might start off uh, with another song this morning. In fact, I'll sing this uh, song to you. Many of you may sing this in your churches, uh, the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father and the Son. Amen. Or how about the Gloria Patri? Do you sing that in your churches? Glory be to the Father and to the Son. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 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 Well, what was missing? Well, you noticed in the songs, didn't you? The Holy Spirit. The question I asked this week was, do we notice this in our churches? Do we notice it in our daily living or in our functional theology? Well, I hope that we Don't miss these things there, but there must be some reason this conference is about the Holy Spirit. So, Pete, are you trying to tell us something that our churches do need to recover uh, this uh, not only doctrine, uh, but yearning and longing for the Spirit's presence among us? So, the Holy Spirit on this Saturday we're talking about, Holy Spirit. In the Hebrew, that is Kodesh ruach in fact why don't you say that with me kodesh ruach you have to you have to do it very breathy okay i'll tell you why kodesh ruach now in the greek that is hagias numa can you say that very breathy with me hagias numa now the reason we said that so with such breath is because these are what we might call onomatopoeia words, okay? Anamatapia terms, this is the formation of a word such as cuckoo or boom. Do you know why that is? Well, Sinclair Ferguson notes that by the imitation of a sound, or a, a, a word that is made by or associated with its sound, such as cuckoo or boom, the this, this sound conveys a sense of their basic meaning. That's what an automatopoeia term is. And so the expulsion of wind or breath, the idea of air in motion, is what is conveyed through these terms. And so spirit expresses in its most fundamental form the breath of life, power, energy, and life. And so on this day, we talk about this Holy Spirit. What is it? And why does it matter? I think those would be appropriate questions to start our time this morning. What is it? And why does the Holy Spirit matter? And so let's consider the first question. The Holy Spirit, what is it? Well, let's begin by saying that's the wrong question. Not what is it, but Who is he? The Holy Spirit, yes, is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. The Spirit is not revealed as simply a force, power, or thing, but as a he. The Holy Spirit is a person, and a personality includes intelligence and will and individuality. No abstract force can intend to do anything. Listen. In Acts chapter 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And in John 16, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Do you see? The Holy Spirit relates to us in a personal way. He does things to us and for us things that we normally associate with personal activity. He teaches us, he comforts us, he guides us, he encourages us. As he performs these tasks, the Bible describes his activity as involving intelligence, will, feeling, and power. You see, the Spirit searches, selects, reveals, and admonishes, and he can be loved. The Spirit can be adored. The Spirit can be obeyed offended, grieved, or sinned against. He is a person. And the Holy Spirit is God. In the Bible, what is said of God is also said of the Holy Spirit. The expressions God said and the Spirit said are repeatedly interchanged. The work and activity of the Holy Spirit is said to be the work of God. Uh, we see an example of this as we, care, as we compare the great uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 6 together uh, with words spoken in the New Testament. You may be familiar when Isaiah writes, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he goes on to say, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And then in Acts 28, we're told that they disagreed among themselves and, and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. And here was the statement that Paul made. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah, the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Did you hear what Paul said? The Holy Spirit spoke the truth when he said these things. This is why the Bible presents the Holy Spirit to us as a proper object of worship and includes the Spirit in the New Testament formula for baptism, think of the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and why the Holy Spirit is included in the apostolic benediction in 2 Corinthians 13. And so this is who he is. He is a person. He's God. He's the proper object of our worship. He does things. But why, why does the Holy Spirit matter? Isn't that an important question to ask? Why? Did you really give up your Saturday to come here to hear about the Holy Spirit? And it doesn't matter? It does matter. So let's talk about why. J.I. J. Packer says that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit Is mysterious and therefore we treat it like a piece of lumber that we can get along happily without. It's the Cinderella of Christian doctrines because few seem to be interested in it. There is an there's an episode in the Book of Acts uh, that is fitting for us today, and I will sadly say too often fitting uh, for me, as it. pictures my everyday attitude toward the Holy Spirit. It's when uh, the Apostle Paul met the disciples in Ephesus and do you remember the question? Do you remember what they said? We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. How often uh, is uh, that reflected in our basic attitudes when we wake up in the morning? Yeah, we know there's a Holy Spirit. We know the significance of the Holy Spirit perhaps in our theology But does it matter? So why does the third person of the Trinity matter? Well, as I thought about that this week, the answer I would give is because God's intention was to establish an everlasting kingdom. A beautiful kingdom, a joyful kingdom, where at the center of this kingdom, God would dwell with his people in perfect unity and life And apart from the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that kingdom will never be established. So the reason the Holy Spirit matters is because the thoughts of God matter. The purposes of God matter. The intentions of God matters. God's ideas matter. His plans for a kingdom matters. But apart from the Spirit, these things will not be established. In seminary, I studied under Dr. Richard Pratt and I remember in class, Dr. Pratt asking, what is the central motif of the scriptures? What is the, the meta-narrative? What is it that everything hangs on in the scriptures? And of course, uh, being a reformed seminary, uh, many different answers were given, but predominantly people said, well, the covenant, that's what binds the scriptures together. I remember Dr. Press saying, No, the covenants serve something greater. You see, the covenants are the administration of something bigger, and that something bigger is God's kingdom. Do you see? The kingdom of God, and God's establishing that kingdom, is The central motif and goal and purpose of God revealed in the scriptures and from the beginning and from before creation and before the garden and even in the garden, we see God working out his good purposes all the way through to the new creation and into the new city and he does this through his Holy Spirit. And so let's take a look uh, 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 as as to how God does this. We see God working powerfully in creation, and we see God working personally among his people through his spirit, always with the goal in mind of establishing his great kingdom, the heavenly Jerusalem, God's kingdom that will come to, to earth as it is in heaven. And so we see the spirits work powerfully in creation the spirit produced order and purpose out of the formless and empty primeval created stuff remember from genesis 1 now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters and god said let there be light and there was light the spirit made the stars says the psalmist and and according to job he made us the spirit brought order and stability after the flood you remember in genesis chapter 8 but god remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark and he sent a wind this ruach over the earth and the waters receded why why this activity of the spirit in these things Well, so that God would create a stable arena within which his kingdom would be established and his redemptive plan would unfold. John Calvin wrote that wherever goodness, truth, and beauty flourish in this fallen world, and I would even add to that, stable weather conditions, it is because the Spirit grants these things that we do not deserve, he says. And Michael Horton writes that even in the old creation, the Spirit is at work holding up the columns of the earthly city while bringing the heavenly Jerusalem into this age. The Spirit is not a resource that we use, but the God who claims us for his purposes, sweeping us unexpectedly and disruptively into his new world. The Spirit divides the waters, uh, uh, divided the waters and caused them to recede. As we saw in Genesis 8, you see his work powerfully in, in, in the material creation. But not only is the Spirit at work, powerfully in creation, but personally among his people. You see, in the same way, he divides and severs us from our guilty association that we have with our federal head, Adam. And he works throughout history to unite us with the last Adam, Jesus Christ, our new federal head. The spirit works powerfully in creation but also personally among God's people to build up and to sustain and to purify the bride that the father has chosen for his son. We see his working personally among us even early on when the nation of Israel was newborn but remained in danger of social chaos The Holy Spirit worked creatively to produce right government and order and direction among the refugees from Egypt. We see in Exodus 35, the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. That's from Numbers 11. And here in Exodus 35, Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and to set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship, and on and on. Do you see what the Spirit's doing? Is working among God's people, preparing them for the work of recreation needed for the establishment of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Sinclair Ferguson writes that when the ruach Yahweh comes on individuals. They are caught up in the thrust of an alien energy and exercise unusual powers. The faint are raised into action. Exceptional exceptional human abilities are demonstrated. Ecstasy may be experienced. Yahweh's Ruach is, as it were, the blast of God, the irresistible power by which he accomplishes his purposes, whether creative or destructive. Those who are the subjects of the activity of the divine Ruach act in supernatural ways with supernatural energy and powers. God's Ruach, therefore, expresses the irresistible force, the all-powerful energy of God in the created order, the beauty and symmetry of the work accomplished by these men, of whom we just read. <clears throat> in the construction of the tabernacle, filled with the Spirit, they, were not, only, they not only gave aesthetic pleasure but a physical pattern in the heart of the camp which served to reestablish concrete expressions of the order and glory of the Creator and His intentions for His creation. Do you see? A hint was given that the work of recreation must begin with His chosen people. So even when the Spirit came upon these people and gave them the the, the skillful abilities to work with their hands among wood and jewels... All of this was preparing the way for God's greater purposes in His creation among His people. And this was only as the Holy Spirit came upon the people to give them the ability to do this. And as He did this, as the Spirit came among them, did you see the ordering that took place? He was ordering God's people. And, and, and the ordering that we, we see led by the Spirit throughout the Scriptures was the ordering that, that took on the offices of the prophet and the priest and the king. And we come to the point at which I think a statement is needed as to, way, as to the best way that we are to view or to overview the person and the work of the Holy Spirit as we're doing this morning. The best way to view or to overview the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, is to see him in relation to these three offices. Now let me explain. We don't see the Holy Spirit as the one who displays random bursts of power at different times for different purposes. Rather, he is powerfully at work through time and history with one purpose in mind. And in order to fulfill this purpose, he applies the benefits of the threefold offices of the prophet and the priest and the king. I recently read a story of of a CEO of a very large company. And one of the questions posed to this CEO is, how in the world do you focus with all of the moving parts and the requests that you receive And he said that he always has three major objectives in mind, and anything not connected to those objectives, anything outside the periphery of those three objectives, he says no to. Everything he does has a direct line to the three objectives that he has decided are most important. And I think the same is true of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in the Old Testament dimly, but with greater insight in the New Testament as the Spirit applies the benefits of Christ who fulfilled the offices of prophet, priest, and king. This is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about the way in which the Spirit powerfully applies the benefits of Jesus Christ as the office bearer of prophet and of priest and of king. First of all, as prophet, the Holy Spirit applies the benefits of Christ as our prophet. The written record of God's mighty acts and the words needed to interpret these acts is the fruit of the continuing activity of the Holy Spirit among God's redeemed people. In 2 Samuel, we read these words, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. In 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But we see more, do you see? As Jesus teaches that the, the paraclete or the advocate whom he is sending, he will bear witness to the word of judgment and conviction of sin and also to the good news of justification in Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke these words recorded in John 16, that when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you, the spirit of truth, he will testify about me. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, Jesus says more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. All that God has ever wanted to say to you, he has spoken in his Son but you can't know it and you can't see it and you can't love it and you can't hear it apart from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit applies to us the benefits of Jesus Christ holding the office as the great high priest, the final priest. The Spirit also mediates Christ's priestly ministry not not as the object of our saving faith, Oh no, the Holy Spirit is not the object of our saving faith, but by inwardly convicting us of sin and giving us the gift of faith in Jesus Christ and bearing witness within us that we are children of God, as he speaks of in Romans chapter eight, and assuring us that we are well-pleasing to the Father. This is how he applies the benefits of all that Christ, our priest, has done. Did you notice what Jesus said? The focus or the content of the Holy Spirit's prophetic ministry is Christ. Convincing us of his work on our behalf and all that he has taught. And this this was always in view. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Or of course in John chapter three, in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, when he answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see, the Father plans, the Son sacrifices and rises, and the Spirit applies as Peter rights to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood oh what a priest jesus is but you would never taste the benefits of christ as your priest apart from the ministry of the holy spirit in your life thank you holy spirit and he applies to us the benefits of Jesus Christ who holds the office of king. How does the Holy Spirit apply the benefits of Christ's kingly office? He conquers unbelief and the twisted lordship of sin in the hearts of God's people. He is intangible and invisible R.C. Sproul says, but his work is more powerful than the most ferocious wind. The spirit brings order out of chaos and beauty out of ugliness. He can transform a sin-blistered man into a paragon of virtue. Do you remember the words of David? Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Or these words from Ephesians, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do you see? If salvation is not only being saved from the penalty of sin, but also our being saved presently from the power of sin's reign over us, then it makes sense that certain moral and spiritual characteristics would be produced by the Spirit. This is why language is used, such as the fruit of the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. do You see, the Spirit brings the lordship of King Jesus to bear in our lives, imperfectly in this present world, and perfectly in the world to come. Thus, salvation... Is that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the very presence of sin. And this because the Holy Spirit is faithful in his work to apply the benefits of Christ as prophet and as priest and as king. Isn't it good news that King Jesus has conquered you? Oh, but he's done it through his spirit. Can you see it? When Jesus arrived, The long-anticipated day of the Spirit had dawned. The day envisioned by Joel, where the Spirit would be poured out in a universal manner, dwelling in God's people personally and permanently. The great day of the future would be the day of the Spirit. And this is what Luke makes so apparent in the opening of his gospel remember his opening announcements of of John the Baptist as one who will be filled with the Spirit from birth. Do you see what Luke is saying? Restoration of prophecy. Now is the time of of the restoration of prophecy. And, And Mary, in the opening words of his gospel, being overcome by the Spirit. What's Luke saying? Oh, the beginning of new creation. And Elizabeth and Zechariah being filled with the Spirit. He's saying that with the coming of Jesus, the day of the Spirit has arrived, and it's why he opens the book of Acts with the question from the disciples Is now the time? Is now the time when the kingdom will be restored? Do you remember early on in this talk, I said, that at the center of the scriptures and at the center of God's heart is a kingdom where he would dwell with his people. And here Luke is announcing that the day of the spirit has come. But what's on the minds of the disciples? Is now the time for this kingdom? And notice Jesus did not deny. He didn't say no, but he defined for them the nature of that kingdom. What did he say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is why Jesus himself declared the kingdom is near. The kingdom is among you. And all the way through to the final pages of the scriptures and even into the new city, the heavenly Jerusalem, there is the Spirit doing His work. As John writes in Revelation, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. And this by the Spirit. There is deep-rooted continuity of the Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament and the New Testament, of which we'll hear wonderful things of today. We need to be careful not to to not flatten the contours of biblical history and to undermine the significance of the progression from the old to the new. As B.B. Warfield says, the Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lighted. The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clear view much of what is in it but was only dimly or not at all perceived before. The mystery of the Trinity, he says, is not revealed in the Old Testament, but the mystery of the Trinity underlies the Old Testament revelation and here and there almost comes into view. Thus, the Old Testament revelation of God is not corrected by the fuller revelation, which follows it, but is only perfected, extended, and enlarged. This is what Paul is saying in the all-important passage in Second Corinthians chapter 3. You yourselves are our letter, he writes, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even even more glorious. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, he writes, the veil is taken away. So I ask the question again, why does the Holy Spirit matter? Because the Holy Spirit removes the veil so we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The only reason we can talk and sing about the kingdom of which we are citizens and the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ on Sunday mornings when we meet in our churches and our congregations or when we meet in our small groups or our discipleship groups, the only reason we can talk of these things and celebrate these things, the only reason we have joy and hope, the only uh, the, the reason we have assurance of our sins being forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus Christ is because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and because the Holy Spirit sustains the very faith he has given to us as a gift. It is not some impersonal force or law that keeps you, but it is the Spirit of God applying the benefits of our great prophet priest and king jesus why does the holy spirit matter this is why as i drove north today looking at all the communities on either side of the interstate thinking of the people who who don't know of the wonders of the gospel of jesus christ of course today talking about the holy spirit made me long for the holy spirit to come and to open eyes and to remove the veil. Oh how our churches Oh how our churches need holy spirit. How our communities need holy spirit. Do you see the wonders of the spirit? Think of your families and your children and your grandchildren. It's it's not The precision with which you instill in them a right theology, important as that is, it is not your twisting their arms. If they're to be caught up in the love of Christ, oh, it's the ministry of the Spirit who takes away the veil. The blessing of God upon your life is sure because of the work of the Holy Spirit and that is why the Spirit is included in the triune benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What good news. And so in the light of this good news, how about we sing together the doxology the way that it was supposed to be sung among God's people. Will you join me? Amen and amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, what what wonderful plans you have and how we long for the kingdom and how we thank you that we're citizens of your great kingdom in and through Jesus Christ with uh, all of the benefits of the kingdom, which are ours, but this, Lord, this, through your spirit, and how we thank you for the third person of the Trinity, how we thank you, O great triune God, for your gracious and powerful work in our lives. And will you, O Holy Spirit, work in our families and in our churches and in our communities so that we might see, so that we might see your powerful and gracious work even among them And will you take the veil away so that Jesus Christ would be celebrated and trusted in our midst? And we ask this in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.